A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to your show, Joanna Chan. This is the Show Up Show, helping coaches, service providers, leaders, and entrepreneurs to master showing up to build their brand, authority, and grow their business. Whether it's showing up on social media, in front of an audience, on a live interview, or an actual stage, this podcast is going to help you overcome visibility fear to confidently brand yourself as the authority in your industry. I'm Joanne Chan, aka the Confidence and Visibility Queen, and I am on a mission to share how I went from a nobody to the confident leader I am today, what I have learned and what I have done to build my brand and business from scratch and help you do the same so that you can make an impact in the world with the meaningful work that you do. Whether you are new to the business world or feeling unsure about public visibility or you want to be seen and heard in a way that doesn't feel icky but authentic to you, you will discover how to become visible in your own unique way and show up as the confident entrepreneur you have always dreamed about becoming. Now, it's time to get you show up and be confidently visible so you can easily attract more clients and opportunities for yourself. Joining us today is the CEO of Calicube, a software company that leverages Google to create future-proof brand-focused digital strategies for businesses. He's touted as the one person Google says has so much, has as much insight on their knowledge algorithms as their own insiders. However, his journey began when he was the voice of a cartoon blue dog and was responsible for the organization's website. He glued their website for children to one of the 10,000 most visited sites in the world. When that happened, he realized that the power behind a brand search strategy is not just about where you show up, it's about how you show up. Today, he's known for empowering business leaders to understand and fit AI knowledge algorithms. He's also the author of the Fundamentals of Brand Search for Business and host of Branded Search and Beyond podcasts. He helps his client control their brand narrative, boost their authority, and dominate their industry on Google, Microsoft, Bing, Apple, and other big tech companies and platforms. So guys, help me in welcoming our guest today, the brand sub guy, Jason Bernard. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That was a wonderful introduction, Joanne. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to start with this because the reason why I'm wearing this color is because of you. I want to match you. <laughs> you know, because when I was um, doing my research, I came across this video that I think was quite recent that you just posted this video on your YouTube saying that why you always wear red. So I didn't want to watch a video because I want to ask you this question in person uh, so that my listeners can, can hear it. I know it's kind of, it, had, it must have something to do with branding, I suppose, I assume. So tell us why do you wear red all the time? Right. Yeah, I quite like this question because it's um, such a, a delightful story. Uh, people think I like red and I don't particularly like red. Some people say you look great in red, but I never wear red except for the professional role. Uh, so it is all about branding or it became about branding because it actually started from a concert I was playing seven or eight years ago. And I played the concert wearing a red shirt. 
and it was the red shirt of Manu Chao, who's, if you don't know him, a famous singer from France, a Spanish-French singer. Uh, and it, but it actually belonged to a friend of mine. So I said to the friend, what I will do is take the red shirt, take it off at the uh, halfway through the concert and throw it to you because then you will have had the same red shirt from your two heroes, Manu Chow and myself. And I threw him the shirt in the middle of the show. It was all very funny and we all had a good laugh. And then I watched a video of the show afterwards and in the first half with the red shirt, I looked really interesting and fun and exciting. And in the second half with the blue shirt, I looked really boring and I kind of disappeared into the background. And I realized that when you're standing on stage, being bigger than life is super important. So then when I started giving conference talks, I wore the red shirt. And then I realized if I wear the red shirt all the time, every time, people will end up recognizing me as much for myself as for the red shirt. So it's pure branding, man. Love it. Yeah, I can't knew it. It's, it's about branding. <laughs> but I love the story behind it and how you discovered that you, you know, it's about standing out in the crowd, especially when you're on stage, right? And of course, we are not going to go into color psychology, but there's a whole theory behind it, like what color represents, you know, what meaning is and, and all sorts of things. So the other question that I wanted to first ask is that I, you know, you call yourself the brand serve guy. And what mm. is brand serve? Because for well, not many people might have heard of this, you know, term. So tell us about that. What does it stand right. for? Well, the first thing is SERP, S-E-R-P, is Search Engine Results Page. And I tend to forget that people don't necessarily know that. So a Search Engine Results Page is what Google or Bing show you when you search on their search engine. And a brand SERP is therefore the result on Google or Bing for your brand name or your personal name. And I focus on that because A, Google is your new business card. Everybody Googles you before doing business with you, whether you're a company or a person. But also B, Google and indeed Bing can give you immense insights into your branding and your marketing strategy because they reflect in that brand SERP what it is they believe your audience will find helpful, useful and valuable. So it's a reflection of their opinion, of the world's opinion of you. Okay, so is the reason why we should care about it, and I love how you how you you know call it like you know Google is your new business card. So mm. how do we measure? How do we you know? Because so for so many business owners, entrepreneurs, especially in the in the ever since COVID happened, you know, so many entrepreneurs, online entrepreneurs, they want to start an online business, and maybe they mm. don't really have a marketing background or a business background like yeah. you. So what is the first step you know like people are usually getting overwhelmed with all these marketing strategies out mm. there all these never ending trends on social media online so can you share maybe perhaps share with us a simple strategy marketing brand strategy to start building your brand not just on google maybe on you know across all social media just one strategy right yeah no that's a huge point and a great way of presenting it and a great question joanne um that's the beauty of brand SERPs, is because they're reflecting the world's opinion of you, you can immediately see where you need to focus. And that's across the web. So if you search your company name or your personal name, you should theoretically rank number one. So that says 
start with your own website. Then if Twitter is number two, it's saying Twitter is something that's working for you, keep working on it. If you're working hugely hard on Facebook, but Facebook doesn't show when somebody searches your brand name or your personal name, that means that you're not doing a great job on Facebook and you should perhaps adapt that strategy. Because if Google can't see that Facebook is important um, to your brand, then it means that either you're not making the best use of Facebook and Google feels that it isn't actually helpful to your audience or that you're not communicating very well with Google about that. So I would say this is all a critique of your brand strategy, your marketing strategy. And it allows you to then prioritize where you focus and stop getting distracted by the latest, let's call it a glittery sequin. Um, a friend of mine, Tonya Eberhardt, who helped me with the introduction that you you use, she came up with a lot of that stuff. I know um, her, yeah. Tonya. She's brilliant. Yes. Um, she was talking about every morning the sun shines and your garden is full of sequins. And the light will bounce off one of the sequins this morning. Tomorrow morning, it will bounce off another sequin. And it's really difficult not to keep switching from one sequin to another every morning. Mm. So you need to wake up in the morning, appreciate the sequins, but remain focused on the important sequin that you had chosen initially, if that makes sense. So my sequin mm -hmm. is to look at Google's results for my brand or my personal brand and to focus on the sequence that Google's pointing me to okay. and not the sequence that my um, peers are talking about or the, uh, or the so or social media is talking about. Mm -hmm. So let Google be the sunlight shining off the right sequin because Google will be very consistent about which sequin it makes glow in the morning the most. I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier. Um, you said whenever someone wants to do a business with you, they will first go to Google. What if, because right now I'm seeing also Instagram is also like, you know, it's getting a lot of traction nowadays and even TikTok. But I guess it depends on who your ideal clients are, you know, where they are hanging out. Because there might be people, maybe if I'm looking for a service provider, just for example, if I'm looking for a coach, I might want to go to Instagram and search their name over there and see what content are they creating, you know. So what would you say about that? Like, why, why are so many social media platforms, all the sequence out there? Why do you, what made you specialize in Google? Or why Google? Um, yeah, well, actually, it's exactly what you said earlier on, is that I built this children's website to be 10,000 biggest site in the world. And a lot of that to, was to do with the presence on Google. And as you said, I learned that it's as much how you show up as where you show up. And what we realized with the children's website was that because we were consistent across our website, but then also incredibly consistent across all the different channels and across all of our different presence, it made it incredibly understand, uh, easy for Google to understand and then to uh, rank us very well, to put us near the top of the results across the board. But also it meant that whenever people came across Buwa and Kuala, which is the cartoon characters we, we mentioned earlier on, they would see a consistent message. And that is hugely important in branding and marketing as we know, but it also means that the number of touches 
we need to have with each individual before they Google our name mm -hmm. becomes less because they understand more easily and more quickly who we are, what we do, and which audience we serve. Can we serve them? At which point, I would argue most people would revert to Google to search for you rather than going onto Instagram. There are certainly exceptions, so I'm not pretending that it's always, always Google, but certainly when somebody is down towards the bottom of the funnel, they've seen you multiple times across the web and they're thinking, am I going to do business with this person or this company? They will Google your name either to research you or because they don't know where your site is. Mm. Ah, okay. In either case, you're getting that Google business card. Wow. Okay, so you said Google is like a child and we have to learn yeah. to educate Google. So can you explain that to us? How do we educate? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and it's, um, I actually started five, uh, eight years sorry, ago talking about empathy for the beast. Uh, there's a song called em uh, Sympathy for the Devil, which is a, a song by the Rolling Stones. And I just adapt that to empathy for the beast. Let's call Google the beast. And that's how most people perceive Google. It's this enormous machine and they're scared of it. But if you have some empathy for what it's trying to achieve, which is to recommend the best answer to the user's question or the best solution to the user's problem, because that's what we do when we search on Google. We're expressing a problem to which we're looking for a solution or a question for which we're looking for the answer. And Google's role is to get them to the answer or the solution as efficiently as possible. And for that, it needs understanding, credibility, and deliverability. It needs to understand who you are and what you offer. It needs to understand that you're the most credible solution for its user. And it needs to know that you have the correct content that will serve the user's purpose, be it information, video, or even the product that, that your person is going to buy. So this idea of empathy for the beast then developed into, well, Google wants to understand who you are, what you do, which audience you serve. It wants you to show you that it's credible. Google call that EEAT, experience, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. And it wants to know, do you have the content? Do you have what the user actually needs? And from that perspective, it's simply a child trying to understand. And we are in the position where we can and should be teaching it who we are, what we do, which audience we serve, why we're the most credible solution, and packaging our content so that the child can give it to its users as the solution to their problem. Mm. You know, I see a lot of people, they, they are struggling with content marketing. It's mm. like, you know, we have to create, we know we have to create as business owners, as entrepreneurs, we have to create, or thought leaders, we have to create content. But we are just so too overwhelmed by you know content yeah. create marketing you know and so at the end of the day we don't we do nothing at all we don't create content or because we are overwhelmed so and so what would you how would you help people i'm not sure whether you help people with that but how would you help what would be your advice for people who are feeling overwhelmed and you know they don't really want to create content they just want they, yeah. they're business but they don't want to create content is there a way out Yes, there is definitely. And we just turned the table on Google is the beast to Google is a child. Um, and it's lovely to flip the table on Google. So we're no longer scared of it. 
I've now got us all into a position where we're not scared of Google. It's a child and we're the responsible adult in the room. From there, you can say, well, let's ask this child what it thinks about us. So you search your own name and it shows you what it thinks about you. Then you can start to say, well, I think it's got it wrong. So if I think it's got it wrong, for example, the example I gave earlier on, it's not showing Facebook and it should, I need to reassess my Facebook strategy or perhaps I'm wrong about Facebook and I should be focusing on Instagram instead. That's point number one. And you can go through all of that, including review platforms, uh, news sources, social media platforms, uh, video, what topics are you covering? And assess by what you see, what needs to be prioritized. Mm. Then the next thing where we can flip everything is to say, well, let's not think about creating content for Google. Let's think about creating it for our audience. And we'll use Google to understand where our audience is hanging out and where we can actually produce this content and give it to them. Then obviously as business owners, we should theoretically understand what our audience wants. What problems do they have that we can solve? And how can we present our solution to them in the best possible way on the platform where they're already hanging out, be it Facebook, Instagram, uh, the New York Times, uh, review platforms, comparison platforms. And if we create content that is truly useful, truly helpful and truly valuable to our audience, and we place it on these different places where they already hang out, then all we need to do is repackage it and present it to Google so that Google can then use that content to present as a solution to its users' problems because your audience is a subset of Google's users and you want to solve your audience's problems, Google wants to solve its users' problems. So there's a match in terms of what you're trying to achieve. So what we generally do at CaliCube or when we're helping clients is say, focus on creating content that serves a purpose and is valuable for your users where they're hanging out already, and then bring it onto your, your own website, repurpose it, and package it so Google can deliver it and send the subset of its users who are your audience to your website for that exact same solution. Do you, because it seems like everyone is fighting, you know, we talk about SEO and all that stuff. It, it seems like everyone is fighting for the same spotlight, you know, everyone wants to yeah. rank number one on Google. So is there a hack or, <laughs> you, know, you could hack into, you know, Google or whatsoever. What, maybe you can share with us one simple way, I wouldn't want to call it hack, but one simple hack for us to rank higher on Google whenever someone searches for, you know, a business or in our areas. Right. There used to be lots of short-term hacks, and that's what I mastered when I got that children's website to the top of the queue. Uh, part of it was short-term hacks, part of it was branding, part of it was marketing. But even back then, Google got the brand, and it was paying attention to how the brand was represented across all of the different platforms. But today, the hacks have gone. So there is only one hack now. And that's hyper topicality. Pick your topic, stick to your topic, make sure that you're consistently answering your audience's real questions and solving their real problems. 
and then packaging it for Google. And unfortunately, it's a long-term hack in the sense that it's not going to change your website's traffic or your presence on Google in six months. In a year, you, you will start to see some traction. And in a couple of years, you can start to dominate your hyper niche. So you need to focus on your niche. You need to focus on a two-year to three-year strategy. And if you can do that and feed this child with the information and the content that it needs in order to solve its users' problems, you're going to win. But what's really hugely interesting about everything I've talked about up to now is what we are doing is simply great marketing and great branding in the traditional sense that we should be doing as business owners anyway. And the SEO aspect is in third place. The priorities are marketing, branding, SEO. Mm. So what I'm saying to people is don't be afraid of Google. Google is a child. Serve Google with the content that you want to serve your audience with anyway, but just packaged in a way that this child can understand and will appreciate. Mm. And therefore, you're actually focusing on your business. And you're focusing on your business if you're using the brand SERP to analyze what's right and wrong with your brand SERP, SERP, search engine results page for your brand name, you can prioritize all of the other work that you're doing. And as you said earlier on, not get overwhelmed with the 15 platforms you need to be on. You can prioritize and say, well, I'll do number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. It becomes incredibly easy and it, it gets rid of that frustration that you're not doing everything all at once because you know what the priorities are very quickly. And that's what we do for our clients at CaliCube is they come to us and we analyze it. I've got a huge uh, platform called CaliCube Pro that analyzes all of this automatically. And we can come up with a master plan for a future-proof digital marketing strategy using exactly what I've explained. And we simply say, Here's what needs to be done. Here's the order. And here's how we package it for Google. The other thing I want to ask you is, what, what do you think about chat GPT? Because everyone is talking about it now. And do you think it's a great tool for every business owner, you know, who want to adopt, you know, to adopt for their copywriting or even, you know, for their copywriting, I would say, because it's mainly for that, right? What do you think of that? Yeah, the, there are multiple questions all wrapped up in that one seemingly simple question um, is everybody's using chat GPT to write content and that is fine as long as you understand that chat GPT is going to repeat what it already has understood from the web and I say understood in a very wide sense it's a machine it doesn't actually understand so whatever it produces will be a repetition of what already exists Whatever it says will not have your voice. And whatever it says will not have the experience and the expertise that you have, that's okay. exclusive to you. So if you do use ChatGPT to write articles or to formulate uh, texts, you need to be sure to go back in and rewrite them so that they include your expertise and your experience and that they have your tone of voice. Mm. And that way you're using it to its strengths. 
and not relying on it to replace who you actually are. And if you use ChatGPT, you will lose your brand voice. And that's hugely, hugely problematic. What will happen over the next few years is some people will lean on it and use it too much and not take the human step to give it their voice and their experience and their expertise. And those people will get caught in a hole where all of these machines, Google, Bing, Apple, Facebook, Twitter, Amazon will recognize it and they will simply demote it and throw it into the bucket, into a into a hole somewhere and it will never pop up again. So just be very, very, very aware that it's a, a tool to help you move forwards, save you some time, but it does not replace you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is so true. Yeah. Because I was just um having this conversation with someone and she was recommending that I use chat GPT to even write a book. I was like, no, I'm not gonna use it to write my book. <laughs> right? I wanna write, write my own book. You know, I don't want to use another mm. voice or another machine to write something that is, you know, close to my heart. And so yes. yeah, I've I've loved your perspective. It's so it's so true that we will only lose our voice. And mm. those are branding as well, you know, if you keep using it, I'm sure, you know, you can use it for like some, maybe rebuying right. some emails or some daunting tasks that yeah. you don't want to do. So, yeah. One thing, one thing there that's actually kind of just adds on to that is ChatGPT, as I said, doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. What it does is predict what the next word will be. Mm -hmm. It's a predictive machine. So it, it simply says, if you give me the word uh, Joanne, it will predict what the next word would be, hmm. which might be is a podcast host or yeah. is a coach. So what it's doing is predicting what the next word would be. And that has two main um, outcomes. Number one is it speaks in a passive voice. Number two, it has no imagination. And what you then end up with is texts that are incredibly boring to read. And I found myself, and I don't know if you've ever done this, trying to read a chat GPT text. And after a couple of hundred words, I can't concentrate anymore because there's no personality, no voice, and it's yeah. very passive. So writing a book with chat GPT would be a book that nobody could ever get through the first chapter of. <laughs> Thank goodness, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> no personality in it, right? It's no... Yeah, there's no essence. It's yeah, I I I because I, I was just trying it out, you know, I was just like play, playing with the platform. I was asking some questions, helping me, you know, do some research. And I found it's very structured, you know, it's very professional. It's not very professional, mm -hmm. which is not what I what I am. <laughs> I'm professional, but to not that, you know, to not it's yeah. not boring, you know, um professional. And and that actually then brings us to the what we were talking about yeah. earlier on is somebody said to me, every major corporation will end up with what we call a fine-tuned GPT-4 model. ChatGPT is based on a technology called GPT, now it's four. And what we can do is add our own data, our own texts, and our own voice to ChatGPT, and then ask it to emulate our voice. But you have to remember, it's not on 200 sentences that you can do this. Uh, at CaliCube, we're building a GPT-4 fine-tuned model for our voice, but also the, the in information that we have. 
And we have currently 1,500,000 words that we're injecting into it because with that amount of information, it will be able to come much closer to emulating our voice, our tonality, and it will have some of the information or a lot of the information that we have, but we still have to retain the human element. We still have to go in and make sure it's not too passive, make sure that it's got the imagination and make sure that we're adding new information, new expertise, uh, new experiences that we have. So it's a constant work. And a friend of mine called Andrea Volpini from a company called Wordlift talks about a dance between humans and machines, yeah. which I love. So as humans, we're feeding the machine, the machine gives us output, we correct the output, we improve on the output, we push it back into the machine and we're dancing backwards and forwards. And that dance will never stop. Mm, yeah, yeah. I do believe machine can never replace humans because like you said, they, they, are no, they have no emotions, right? Because yeah. um, I don't know how at once we can go, you know, when it comes to technology, we can never know, right? But I just want to say, yeah, it can never replace and it should not replace no. because what are we then? Like, what are we for? I mean, we, our own existence has no meaning at all, right? It has no purpose. So, right. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and um, the, the really interesting thing about um, this whole chat GPT thing is that Bing have now released it on their search engines. So, Microsoft Bing now has a chat GPT option where you can chat with the search engine. So what they're saying is it's no longer a search engine, it's an answer engine. So search engine would be Google, which offers uh, five, five, 10 choices where you decide which is the one that you want to choose. So you're searching, it's searching and it's offering you options. Something like uh, ChatGPT on Bing is saying, here's the answer. So it's an answer engine and we can exchange with it and, and dialogue with it until we get to the point of an answer. And that's almost where the next step will be, which is assistive engines. But an assistive engine would actually be predicting what we need before we know it. Right. So if we take an example of, let's start at the assistive at the top, is I wake up in the morning and my assistive engine says to me, don't forget it's your mother's birthday buy her a present or give her a call. An answer engine would be if I've forgotten her birthday and I type in, what is my mother's birthday? And it would just answer me with the date. All right. And a search engine would be, I've forgotten who my mother is. <laughs> so that, that's the idea. Obviously, it's a bit of a silly example, but it shows you the different approaches of each of these different types of service. And Fabrice Canel from Bing, uh, who's the program manager at Bing, who works heavily on ChatGPT and, and Bingbot, sorry, uh, was talking about the fact that Microsoft Bing are working towards having all three of them. They will coexist because they each serve a different need. And that search will not die because the volume, what will happen is that the, uh, what we call in economics, supply will create its own demand. As you introduce answer engines, you create demand for answers, but that doesn't necessarily reduce the need for search. So we should be looking at a future where we have search, answer, and assistive engines living side by side, all serving us as users. 
and from us as brand managers and marketers, that then begs the question, how can we possibly manage to optimize and to be present on all three yeah. types of engine? And the answer is incredibly simple. Exactly what I've been explaining since the very beginning. If you communicate solutions to your audience on the platforms that they need, that they're using, sorry, you repackage it for these search assistive and answer engines. You teach these engines like children, what you can provide to whom, why you're credible and what you can actually give them. And they will all recommend you to their users when they have a problem that you can help with. At which point, this simple strategy of looking at your brand SERP, working on your own content, then repackaging it for these children, these child machines, yeah. will allow you to win whoever and whichever type of service your audience are using. Mm. I love how you just summed it up because I was about to ask, like, so what, what, what is the next step? Like, you know, because we have all this information now, what, what do they need to do right now, right? So I, I'm so happy they answered that question before I even asked. So that, I think the whole- that, Oh, excuse me, sorry. I was just being an assistive engine. I was answering the question before you even knew you had it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love that. Because I was going to uh, you know, um, say to that, um, your homework for today, after this episode is go Google yourself. Because I, as, I'm sure a lot of people that actually don't Google themselves. They have never Googled themselves. Hmm. So your homework for today is to go Google yourself and see what comes out. And you will be surprised. You will laugh or you, you might cry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's a nice exercise. If you think, what do I expect to see? Then you Google yourself and you look at what you do see and you compare the two. Then you think, what do I want to see? Mm. And you want to move to what you want to see from what you do see. And also search my name, Jason Barnard, J-A-S-O-N-B-A-R-N-A-R-D, and look at what you see from me. This is what happens when you work on this consistently over time, is you will get a really lovely presentation of yourself that prioritizes the aspect of yourself that you want. That's for a person and for CaliCube, if you search CaliCube, K-A-L-I-C-U-B-E, you will see a representation of what we can offer to whom and why we're credible as a solution for those people. Those are the perfect Google business cards. And those Google business cards are exactly what will allow you to segue your brand from search to answer to assistive engines. Hmm. Thank you so much. So they have a homework to do. Um, actually, I wanted to ask one more question. That is out of topic. That is out of this, you know, this Google Ooh. thing, right? I just right. want to know about your a bit of a bit of your journey, entrepreneurship journey. Because when I was doing my research, um, you know, I want to know how did you go from playing double bass in punk folk band to being a blue dog in a cartoon series and to living in a desert island, if I'm not wrong, to now running a software <laughs> company. How did it happen? What what happened actually? Well, it's a mixture of entrepreneurship and creativity mm. because uh, I moved to Paris and I was asked to join a music group and I joined the group. I played double bass. We played in the streets. We played some concerts. And then I decided that I would like to release an album. Mm. 
a music album. We tried to get record companies to release our album and nobody wanted to. So I created a record company and released my own album. Then I tried to get uh, companies to organize tours for my band. Uh, nobody wanted to do that. So I created a company that organized tours for the band too. Then we stopped with the band and with my ex-wife, we created a cartoon called Buwa and Kuala. And nobody wanted that either. Some, something in my life is that nobody ever wants what I create. So I created a company and built the website and made a TV series with ITV International and Radio Canada and TG in France. And it was released in 25 countries. So each time those first two is I created something, nobody wanted it. So I created a company in order to be able to make a living out of it. And this last one might seem much more pragmatic, but in fact, I realized when people, when I was trying to transition into digital marketing to become a consultant, when I talked to potential clients, some of them didn't sign on the dotted line, mm. even though I thought they would. And what was happening is that they were searching my name on Google. They were seeing at the top, Jason Barnard is a cartoon blue dog, and that lost me a lot of deals. So what I then did was learn to influence Google. So it showed Jason Barnard is a digital marketer at the top. And then it says he's also a blue dog, but it says it in tiny letters at the bottom, because I don't think we should lose our past in order to promote our present. And that got me into this idea of brand SERPs and knowledge panels. A knowledge panel is the information box you see on the right-hand side on Google. And if you Google my name, you'll see a magnificent knowledge panel, do, which is Google's understanding of the facts. And that's hugely important. Yeah. Um, and once again, people didn't get overexcited about it like I was. I thought this is a huge, huge, huge issue. This is a huge question for every brand. And when I talked about it, people said, well, yeah, I rank number one. That's good enough for me. So I then created CaddyCube as a way to research, understand, offer services, and educate everybody in the world about the importance of the search result for your own name. Because it seems so small in the sense that bottom of funnel audience, I rank number one. I don't really mind what I look like in my Google business card. But then if you start extrapolating out, you say, well, it is a reflection of your digital strategy. It can and does help you to optimize and organize your digital strategy and prioritize your resources efficiently and effectively. Mm -hmm. It also allows you to manage your brand across the entire digital ecosystem. And it's also the springboard, and I'll say it again, from search to answer to assistive. So at the end of the day, CaliCube for eight, eight years, I've been working towards this exact moment, which is the emergence of answer engines, the beginnings of assistive engines, when this is suddenly going to become the single biggest and most important aspect of any brand's marketing strategy. Wow. Well, I'm being, I'm really blown away by this conversation. I'm learning so much. I'm just taking down a lot of notes. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And it's so many, like a lot of new information, to be honest. And I'm going to go do my research on this topic even more. 
uh, or I could just have you back on the show to talk about yes, it. Again. Yeah. So tell my listeners where is other than Google you, other than Google, where's the best place for them to find you or connect with you personally? Right. Well, the, there are two aspects. Number one, if you're interested in uh, the search engine results page for your brand name, brand SERPs, your Google business card, knowledge panels, visit caddycube.com. We've got a huge uh, help section, FAQs, uh, podcast episodes, a lot of free information. I'm sharing this for free. So you can learn pretty much everything you need for free on calicube.com, K-A-L-I-C-U-B-E.com. Um, if you want to learn more about me personally, um, I tend to hang out on LinkedIn and Twitter, but I don't do very much social media, generally speaking. Um, but if you come to jasonbarnard.com, you will find all of my life story with the songs, the kids' characters, the music, and the digital marketing, uh, which are the three things which I think represent my life journey. It's punk folk double bass, blue dogs and yellow koalas in cartoons, and trying to get to the point where I can confidently educate these child machines so that they have an understanding of who we are, what we do, and who our audience is, that we are the credible solution for their users, and that we have the correct solution that will help their users and allow our businesses to flourish. Yeah. Before I let you go, I just want to say, I really love the fact that you are embracing your past, <laughs> you know, like being a cartoon. <laughs> And then you were putting it on your website. I was a bit like, I was a bit shocked to be honest. I was like, who is this guy? He was a cartoon, you know, cartoonist, and now he's running. I was like, I just don't understand. But I love how you are embracing it because it makes you different, right? You are who you are because of your past. Is you are not just another software company CEO or director. You are not, you know, a digital marketer. You are Jason Bernard because of your past, because of what you have built, right? What you have went through and all that. That's a really interesting point. I'm writing a book with a, a friend called Mike Ulmer. Mm -hmm. And the book will be called Google is a Child. And it will be an explanation of this entire approach of Google is a child. We need to learn to educate it. And we can teach Google to love our business, yeah. which is a lovely, lovely approach. And He's going to uh, work with me to tell it through the story of my life as well. So what was really interesting about talking to Mike and working with him on this book is that he was saying Google as a child is something that you now talk about a great deal, but it doesn't come from thin air. Yeah. It comes from your life experience. It comes from the way you got here. And it comes from who you are and the personality that you have. Uh, I'm having a, an enormous amount of fun working on that with him. And we hope to release the book in June for my birthday. Oh, <laughs> an early birthday present. <laughs> I want to press the publish the book button on my birthday. That's my plan for this year. I've got the current book up here behind me, The Fundamentals <laughs> of Brand Search for Business. Um, and in fact, the reason we started writing the, the Google as a Child book with Mike is he said that's the worst title in the entire world. The fundamentals of brand search for business is so dry and so boring. It should have been Google as a Child. That I, I agree. <laughs> yes, I do agree. Yeah, because the title is so in, important, I would say, right? Because it has to grab people's attention. 
it is yeah. like a hook. We all know that it's a hook, right? So you have to hook people, you know, grab their attention, make them want to read about, okay, so what's Google? Google is a child. Okay, tell me about it. Instead of the yeah, fun exactly. of, <laughs> But we all learn our lessons, I'm sure. We all make mistakes and learn our lessons. I'm sure it's a great book. No, it, well, it actually is a really, really, really good book. I wrote it with a company called Bright Ray Publishing, um, a lady uh, who um, helped help me, help me write the book and move it from an incredibly geeky presentation to a much simpler presentation of how to use your brand SERP as a guide for your digital marketing strategy. So it's exactly what we talked about today. This book covers that in a pragmatic but easy to read manner whereas google as a child is going to move us forwards into a more philosophical approach about how we can approach these machines which is slightly different so i would actually recommend i hate to say this because it sounds very salesy i would recommend reading both <laughs> <laughs> okay yep all right, so guys, I hope you are learning a lot from our guest today. If you have any questions, you know where to find me, find Jason. You can send me a, or Jason a message on LinkedIn. I think that's the best place. Or just yes. leave a comment below if you are watching this on YouTube or Instagram or whatever you know, platforms that you prefer. If you haven't subscribed yet, hit the subscribe button so you never miss another juicy episode. Thanks for watching and tuning in today. Until next time, show up. Success doesn't show up for you until you show up and pursue your own success. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Joy, and it was a lot of fun. Brilliant. Oh my God. There you go. Jason so you've got two little those. singing clips. Thank you for listening to the Show Up Show with me, Joy and Chan. If you want to create more confidence, visibility, and authority in your business, send me a message on Instagram at Joy and Chan Coaching. DM me the word show up and I will send you my free signature training, Visibility Creates Possibilities, that you can watch right away to start exploding your visibility today.